football, and I, and I played football actually for five years of my life as a, as a youth, and, and one of the things I used to say is, I love the game of football because it's the only place where you can hit somebody that hard and not get arrested for it. And, and so as I was reflecting on the game of football, I think one of the, the main reasons people actually love it is because it's a game injected with passion. And the truth of the matter is, we see this in every part of the game of football. It's in the coaches and how they give their fiery pregame speeches. It's in the players when, when, they, when they grunt and hit each other and slap their chest and slap each other's butts. And, and it's... It's one of my favorite places to find passion is in the fans. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about because you are one of these people. But just in case you don't, I brought, I brought a couple more pictures along uh, of some passionate fans. And yes, this guy's in the season. He's got his pumpkins. He's a little crazy. Spike Spot, any UGA fans? Yes. This is my favorite one right here. Yes. Yes. Go Pack Go. Yes. That guy. Like, I'm all for taking your shirt off, but that guy should have left his on. I mean... Jeez. And so the truth of the matter is we laugh at these pictures, but, but these fans are passionate about their teams. And their passion drives them to do ridiculous things. And so if, if you're in here, you're taking notes, that, that's the first, that's the bottom line for tonight, is that passion drives our actions. And, and the truth of the matter is we're going we're gonna to take a look at uh, one of the most passionate followers of Christ probably of all time, and, and that, that is the Apostle Paul. And to do that, we're going to examine a, a passage of Scripture called, in Acts chapter, chapter 14. So if you, if you can go ahead and grab your Bibles out from underneath you, if you brought your own, go ahead and open up to Acts 14. And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Paul. And you see, Paul was a man formerly known as Saul. And Saul was a terrible man. Saul was kind of, he was a, a, a spiritual gang member almost, a religious thug. He, he was a teacher of the Jewish faith. And, and he... Um, Excuse me. And he was a teacher of the Jewish faith. And what he, what he did for a living was to persecute Jesus' people. So basically, meetings and gatherings like the one you're currently sitting in, Paul, I mean, Saul, rather, tried to end them. And, and a few chapters before uh, Acts chapter 14, we see Saul approving the stoning of Stephen, who is the first martyr of the Christian faith. And Acts chapter 8, verse 3, characterizes Saul like this. Let me read it to you. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And so clearly Saul was a bad dude. And, and Saul's life shows us how destructive a life can be if it's passionate about the wrong things. Because the truth of the matter is passion drives our actions, but that's in spite of what we're passionate about. And some of the worst people in the world have been passionate about terrible things and their lives have caused waves and waves of destruction. Fortunately for us, though, Saul's story doesn't end there. And Saul has a miraculous encounter with Jesus. And Saul becomes Paul. God changes his name to symbolize the heart change that has happened after he encounters Jesus. And Paul is an incredible man. Paul is the man who, who goes and writes, 14, inspired by God, writes 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. He, he goes on three missionary journeys, preaches the gospel to the entire known world of his day. And he starts many of the early churches. And, and Paul's whole legacy is centered on one truth, a simple change of passion. He changed from trying to persecute Jesus to pursuing Jesus. And so it's, it's incredible what, what passion can do in your life. And, 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 and we're going to take a look at the book, like I said, the book of Acts, and, which gives us the history of the early church. And this is where we see Paul's life in action. 
And so we're going to start in verse 8, so go ahead and find that. But if you read the preceding verses, um, you, you see that we're jumping in on one of Paul's missionary journeys in which Paul, he's going around from city to city, town to town, proclaiming the word of God. And, and he gets run out of one area, and so he goes, goes to this particular area that we're going to jump into today, and he continues to proclaim the word of God. And so here we go. We're going to jump in, starting in verse 8. In Lystra, there was a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that the man had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. And so this is, just, this is just incredible. God is using a man who is so passionate about Jesus to do incredible things all throughout his life. And the truth of the matter is that the, everyone in the town would have known this guy, this, this person who was lame from birth, meaning he was born without the ability to walk, with a disability. And, and so, so we'll just call him Jim. And so, so the people would have been like, no, that, like, that's Jim. Like he, he's been lame from birth. He, he's never been able to walk. And then these two dudes show up, and one of them, one of them speaks one word, and Jim jumps up and starts walking, and, and the people are absolutely mind-blown. And, and I want you to see their response to, to, the, to God working, working there. And starting in verse 11, and we jump back in. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. These are, these are God, the Greek gods. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices. Paul does this incredible work. God does this incredible work through Paul, and the people are mind blown. And, and this is how they respond. They, they, they know there's something that deserves their fear and respect, but they make the mistake. They mistake the power and presence of Jesus in Paul for Paul. And they say, surely you're Hermes. They assume they are standing in the presence of a God. And, and, and we stopped at verse 13, but I want you to check what happens when Paul and Barnabas hear of the people's mistake. Starting in verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So as soon as Paul and Barnabas catch wind of what's going on, I love what the biblical text says. It says they tore their clothes, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd. And the tech doesn't read that they waited around until Sunday to go, go up and fix it at the church. No, they rushed back into the crowd. They, they had the opportunity to be worshipped as gods. And the thought didn't even cross their mind. The moment they heard of the people's mistake, Paul and Barnabas rushed into the heart of the crowd. And, and you see, it's imperative to Paul that the people hear that God wants them. And that God has not come just to heal one sick man, but to heal any that would call upon his name. And, and Paul is more passionate about Jesus than he is about the spotlight. And, and that's, the truth of the matter is, passion for Jesus starts with the spotlight on him. And so when I think of a modern day example of a, of a man like Paul in terms of influence and passion for what they did, I think of Steve Jobs, um, the late founder of Apple. You've, you've all surely heard of him. Um, 
this man, this man did incredible things. And, and I want you, we have a short, short video, so, so, so dial in and enjoy this and hear what he has to say about passion. People say you, you have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing, and it's totally true. And the reason is, uh, is because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard, and you have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, if you're not having fun doing it, you don't really love it, uh, you're going to give up. And that's what happens to most people, actually. If you really look at, 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 at the ones that uh, ended up you know, being successful, unquote, in the eyes of society and the ones that didn't, oftentimes it, it's the ones that are successful loved what they did so they could persevere when, you know, when it got really tough. And, and the ones that, that didn't love it quit because they're sane, right? Who would want to put up with this stuff if you don't love it? So it's a lot of hard work, and, and it's a lot of worrying constantly. And uh, um, if you don't love it, you're going to fail. So you got to love it. you got to have passion. Yeah, so good. I love how he starts. You've got to have passion for what you do. Because if not, any rational person would give up. Right? Like, basically, life gets hard is what he's saying. So you've got to love what you do. And, and Steve Jobs knew life got hard. He had cancer and sickness, and he eventually passed away from it. But he stuck at what he did. And the truth of the matter is, it's hard for believers, too. All but one of Jesus' 12 disciples were eventually martyred for their faith, meaning they were murdered. And if you look all throughout Scripture, the Bible never promises a life without hardship for those who believe in him. And any rational person will give up. And so we have, we have think about how many times you've been in, been in a moment where God might have been calling you to do something and, 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 and you just rationalized your way out of it. You thought your way out of it. Maybe God is saying, go Go, go sit to that kid who sits alone at lunch or, or, or pray for that person or, or talk with the student no one likes. And, and we can say, no, that's weird, or, or I, I just can't do that, or, or someone else will do it. And we, but the point is we can, we can think and rationalize out of anything we want to, and we can make excuses. The truth of the matter is sometimes God is going to call us to do things that just don't make sense. And it's in those moments that we have the opportunity to jump out in faith and allow him to catch us and to grow us up. And, and I had a moment like this recently with um, a man who we'll call Lame Larry. And um, Lame Larry is my next-door neighbor. And, and so a couple of y'all know who, who I'm talking about. And um, Lame Larry was just basically exactly how it sounds like. He was a lame guy. I've known this man since I was six years old. And we would always try to play football and different games on his yard. And he would just kick us off his yard. And if we were playing basketball up at the park, he would come up there and say, hey, don't dunk on the goals. And we're like, this isn't even your park. Like, what do you know? Like, we can do what we want. But Lame Larry was just that kind of guy. And so I, I've, just, I've called him Lame Larry my whole life. I just despised him. And, but recently, over the past couple of weeks, I, I kind of felt God pressing on my heart just, Mike, maybe, maybe you should go talk with him or maybe reach out to him. I'm like, no, God, that's weird. Like, I don't want to do that. I made excuses. And, and the truth of the matter is, I, last Sunday, God, God just overwhelmed me again. He said, you know, Mike, you need to go talk to him. And so I just put one foot in front of the other and walked literally across my yard because we're next-door neighbors, and, and I rang his doorbell. And it was a short conversation. He, he opened the door, and he said, how you doing, Michael? And I said, I didn't call him Lame Larry. I said, how you doing, Mr. Larry? And he said, er, and he said I'm doing all right. And I said, hey, you know, I just, I, just need to, I just need to apologize for anything I might have done. And he looks at me. He doesn't even say anything. He just draws me in with a big hug, and then, and then he put, pushes me back out and says, it's all right, Mike. You just had to grow up a little bit. That's all. 
And, and the truth of the matter is, in that moment, Larry felt loved and Larry felt significant. And I would have completely missed out on that had I had just continued to rationalize, rationalize my way out of it and think my way out of it. And I decided to be more passionate about God's child than my pride, and I got my neighbor back. And, 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 and what I believe Paul would say is that there's no effective ministry without passion. And we know, we know that as passionate followers of Christ, there's certain stuff that Jesus has put in us that we just can't contain. And so at this point, you might be saying, all right, I get it. Passion drives our actions. It's an important thing. But what does that look like? What does it mean to be a passionate follower of Christ? And how should that affect my life? Well, I've thought of three practical things we're going to go after right quick. So here we go. The first one. A follower of Christ has passion for his presence. If you're taking notes, go ahead and fill that in. Um, and his presence pertains to personal time with God, whether this be through prayer or, or reading the Bible or, or fasting or, or worshiping, just anything you do privately to spend time with God. And having a passion for his presence mean getting on, means getting on God's purpose and God's power for your life. And so, and so maybe, maybe this is an area where you've been dropping the ball recently and you just need to recommit tonight, just, you know, Maybe, God, I'll spend 5, 10, 15 minutes in the Bible with you over the next week. And, and you'll be amazed at how he can transform your life through that time. Secondly, a, a Christ follower has passion for his plan. His plan. So go ahead and fill that in. His plan here is referring to the word and the way of Jesus. And so... We see this all throughout Paul's life. If you go and read the entire book of Acts, you'll see the rest of Paul's life. He is constantly proclaiming the plan of Jesus. And we also saw this in the Old Testament prophets. And I love this verse in Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who was an Old Testament prophet, said this, verse 31, 10. Hear the, Lord, hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in the distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and watch over his flock like a shepherd. And so we've got to be people passionate about proclaiming his plan and his word. And how about being passionate about his plan even when it doesn't match our plans? It didn't match my plans to go and talk to Mr. Larry. I trusted God in that moment. And finally, a Christ follower is passionate about, is passionate about his people. And notice how, how the passage in Acts chapter 14 started. It started with Paul and Barnabas meeting the needs of the people. And if I can be, if I can be candid for a moment, how, how are we doing with meeting the needs of the people in our lives? When we're in the spotlight, do we just, do we just take it and allow others to serve us? Or do we redirect attention to Jesus and say, you know what, we're going to be the most loving, serving people at our school, at our home, wherever God has put you? And so it's my hope and my prayer that, that you will meditate over these truths for the next week and, and allow God to speak to you because um, he will meet you where you're at. But, but the story doesn't end there. We've got, we've got two more verses um, to, to look at. So if y'all will join me, and if you still got the Bible open, we're going to start in verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby.
And so if you're like me and you read that, I'm just like, what? Like, what is Paul thinking? In this moment, these, these people, they stone him. He's literally, they think he's dead. They drag him out in the city. And Paul gets up and goes back in the city. Like, if this, if, this says, if this was Mike's story, if Mike was in this story, it would say, and Mike gets up and is like, and runs the other way. Or Mike goes, if he has the audacity to go back into the city, Mike finds a bigger rock so he can go defend himself next time. But not Paul. All it says is Paul got up and went back into the city. And, and the truth of the matter is, I, 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 love to, I love to imagine being in a biblical text sometimes. So if you imagine being there, imagine being one of his disciples and you just, and you gather around Paul and you're, I mean, we don't know, but they're probably weeping, probably praying. And one of their great leaders has just died and, and, he, and he just pops up. And they're like, what? those people just killed you. And he says, yeah, I'm going after those people. And Paul doesn't hesitate. Hesitate. <laughs> Whatever. And, and this is such a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus. Right? Like in this moment, Paul is personifying all that Jesus is to us as believers. The only difference between Paul and Jesus in this moment is that Paul's passion drove him back into the city, whereas Jesus' passion drove him to the cross. And if, if it was passion that drove Paul to action, it's Jesus' love that is the fuel. And it's this audacious, scandalous love that Jesus so lavishly displayed upon his children through his son, Jesus Christ. And so... The truth is, friend, if you're in here tonight, you've messed up. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. But Jesus didn't look down from heaven and see a world full of sinners and be disgusted. Instead, Jesus looked down at a world full of his children that he desperately wanted back. And Jesus so passionately pursued me and he so passionately pursued you that he was willing to die the most painful death for us. He pursued me and he pursued you so passionately that he did the thing that we all needed and none of us could do for ourselves. Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross is our only hope. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And, and the beautiful thing is there's, there's nothing we can do to earn this, friends. It is the free gift of salvation. And so... If y'all would, we're going to get ready to close out. If y'all would, would just bow your heads for a moment. And, and if you're in here tonight and, and you're a believer, you're spiritually resolved and you've made this decision before, I just thank God right now. Literally in these next few moments, just praise him and thank him for his love, for his grace, and for his mercy. But there's a second group of people in here right now. And friend, you've never made this decision. You've never accepted Jesus in your heart. Maybe you've avoided church for, for, for reasons you can't explain, but you're here tonight. And this is no accident. This is no coincidence. You sense the spirit of God pressing on your heart right now. Don't dismiss him. And so if, if you're in here tonight and you're one of those people and you say, Mike, I need Jesus then the beautiful thing is the Bible says all you have to do is declare with your mouth and believe in your heart and you will be saved. There's nothing you could do to earn this. 
just accept Jesus. So if that's you, with every eye bowed and every head still closed, I'm going to do something. I'm going to count to three. And all I want you to do is simply raise your hand when I count to three. Not that raising your hand adds to your salvation in any way, but I truly believe that an outward expression of what physically, what's going on inwardly, spiritually, helps to solidify the moment. So if that's you, get ready. Here we go. One, two, three. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Just put it up and put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. So if you just raise your hand, would you pray this prayer with me? And anyone else, offer, offer up this prayer. God, I acknowledge I'm a sinner, and I've messed up, and I need you. Jesus, you're the only hope I have, and I surrender my heart to you. I give you my life. Take all of me. Thank you for your love. It's in your holy name I pray, Jesus. Amen.